Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Solo Life, the podcast for PR pros and marketers who work for themselves. People like me, Michelle Kane with Voice Matters and Karen Swim of Solo PR Pro. Hello, Karen. It's another week and here we are. Hi, Michelle. We made it and it has, it's been a week. Oh, it's been a week and it hasn't even been a week already. (laughs) (laughs) So true. But you know. Our week is nothing like the weeks of some people out there in pop culture land. So we're just going to touch on that a little bit. I'm sure if any of you are following any of the hot topics right now with the writer strike, the actor strike, uh, we know Drew Barrymore had some issues with that. We've got some stuff out of Florida. And, oh, you know, Jan Winter stepped in it, too. With Rolling Stone and the Rock and Roll oh, Hall. So, and, yeah. and, you know, not that we're saying this just to just diss on people, but there are some very instructive PR moments that some of these aforementioned people received well and acted upon and others have not, but that's okay. It's just like, just like us and clients. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. 100%. And I, I actually, I love our pop culture PR segments because they're always fun and they're a nice break from a lot of the other things that all of us have to deal with in our day to day. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's so, yes, let's get into it. So, so Drew, I love Drew. I know she means well. I think she, she most certainly was thinking of those members of her crew and those people affected by the strike and being, you know, being off the job and what that is starting to mean financially for so many people that she was, you know, she announced she made the decision to come back to work. That was met with pretty significant backlash, which in turn she then rescinded and is not going back. And I know we were talking off air about, I had seen Rosie O'Donnell posted something that was very instructive for, for Drew. In fact, Rosie, if, if you're looking to uh, make a foray into PR, you, you nailed it. You, she, she just laid out three things, you know, A, apologize, B, you know, change your mind and C, just state it like this and you'll be fine. You know, I, I love Drew Barrymore as well. And I think that her misstep, of course, the first thing that was asked is, who's advising her? Yeah, um, people automatically assume that there was some failure on the part of advisors, but then other smart people ask the question: Was did she listen to counsel? Yeah, my guess is that obviously she does have really good PR people that are on her team. My guess is that they truly did advise her, but that she led with her will and her heart. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that she was well-intentioned, but very misinformed. So here's a thing that stood out to me. Number one, here's somebody who is an industry veteran. She grew up in this industry. That, however, is not always apparently an indication that you really understand the industry that you've been in for a long time. So she's been in it for a long time. She's you know, made a lot of money in the industry. She definitely is one of the privileged that is not feeling the strike in the same way. However, because she has a good heart, she wanted to do something good, but she missed the mark on this one and she forgot her audience. I don't want to spend people's money, but there's all kinds of ways that you can help people that work for you without affecting 
the wider industry and the issues and thinking about how this is going to play to the average American, many of whom are in her audience, are also in labor unions, have family members in labor unions, or are being impacted by workplace issues. So it was a great misstep. And so the lesson to leaders is just because you think something is right, and just because you're operating off of good intentions, it's really smart to have strategic counsel that will tell you the truth and to look beyond yourself and your perceptions and truly understand the impact on the audience. And when you're a brand of that size, your impact on the larger marketplace. I have friends that have been on the picket lines. I have friends that are not multimillionaires who are being affected by these strikes. I have friends that are actors and friends that are writers. It is disheartening to see somebody show up for a smaller group of people because you want to feel good about it and you want to put a statement out saying, I own this choice. Okay. Yeah. Are you owning the big mistake that this is too? It was a slap in the face to all of those people that don't have Drew Barrymore as their boss, which is the majority of right. people. Right. So true. So true. And it it definitely went against the whole purpose of a strike. And and to your point, you know, you're asking audience members to cross a picket line. And so there was a subset snafu with all of this where there were two audience members who the picketers gave them pins. They wore the pins. They were kicked out of the audience. So it's also a message to someone, you know, in her position, or maybe you're not a talk show host. Maybe you're a CEO of a company. Yeah, you keep the 30,000-foot view, but you better keep your ear to the ground, too, so that your staff knows not to do that. Because, hello, Drew, you're in the SAG-AFTRA union. So, and, and that's unfortunate, but has yeah. she been out on the picket line routinely? Has she been talking to people who are losing their livelihood, who cannot pay their rent, who cannot make their mortgage payments? Right. Apparently no. not. No. Because you can't hear these stories. You can't know these people. You can't walk in their shoes and make the decision that was made. So, and we've also seen the ripple effect. And this yeah. one, with companies that we work with too. One company does something and everybody follows suit, bad or good. We're seeing it right now in this whole return to office. You know, one company finally pulls the plug and says, you got to come back. And then we see a ripple where other companies follow suit because no one often wants to be first. Right. And, you know, we know in business that it's all copycat. That's why they all talk in this stupid business jargon language, which is another part of our segment today. So now that she has pulled back and they are not taping the show, then other talk shows also announced that they also will be delaying their seasons. And isn't it painful? Yes. But that's a whole point of a strike. Whether you're pro-union or not, I think that we're all pro people earning a decent living. Right, right. And and that's all that these people, they're not fighting to become billionaires. That's not what the fight is about. They want to have health insurance. They want to be able to have entry-level positions. You know, when it comes to like actors, they want extras. Extras often like 
it's almost like an internship into the business. They don't get paid a lot, but they get to learn on the job. They get to network. They get to be around. They learn the language of a set and how production goes. And one of the things that the studios wanted to do is to take extras in that background stuff and be able to AI it into 50,000 different other scenes, movies. So imagine this. You go, you get paid 100 bucks for your, you know, full day of work. And now somebody wants you to sign over the rights to that day of work for eternity. Right. So they can just, you know, drop you into other things. That's, yes, technology is here, but I am not a fan personally of technology completely erasing humanity. I believe that the best use of technology helps us to do our jobs better. It works for us. It's not competing with us. So, right. right. I mean, that that's just wholly unethical. Yeah. I believe it is too. And, and so, you know, I've heard a lot of people just, they don't understand. They don't know what's going on with these strikes. And they really have this viewpoint that people in Hollywood all makes so much money. And when I shared with people some of the residual checks that people make or some of the money that they make in a year, they were shocked that it was less than they make at their, what they consider to be a regular job. We're not talking about tech executives. We're not talking about C-suite people. We're talking about people that just go to work every day. They have a job. They make a decent living. They were shocked to learn that people in this industry often make far less than they do. And it's because in every industry, you always have, you know, somebody on the bottom, somebody in the middle and somebody at the top, every industry that doesn't go away just because of the type of industry. Yeah. And, and I think it speaks to a, a wider mentality. And I'm just, I'm going to presume it's probably mostly an American thing. You always hear the pushback of, oh, they want this kind of raise. Why should they get that? It's like, do you understand if they do that, it will eventually benefit you. They're not, this is not a competition. You are not meant to be jealous. Oh, so you want to be paid less? Is that what you're saying? Pay me less. It's not a contest. You know, we only have, you know, look, unions, a lot of good, a lot of not so great, but we have weekends because of unions. We have, well, in most states right now, some states are bringing back child labor. We don't have child labor because of unions. So them asking for what they are, the value of their work is bringing these companies, don't act like just because it's not an opportunity for you today. Oh, they're being greedy. Just shut up and go to work. It's like, really? Do you really want to be a serf? I don't. And it's it's a little... It is a little short-sighted to actually be a member of a union that's on strike and make the decision that Drew Barrymore made. That that's a more telling yeah. issue because we have people yeah. that don't agree with the unions and would love to see them go away. They don't like the collective bargaining. They want they want every individual to bargain for themselves. Nothing wrong with that point of view. That's right. you know it really isn't. So we're not here to you know to say pro or, you know, anti-union or whatever. We're here to say that when you are running a business, you really need to take into account who you're speaking to and the impact of your decisions. And you have to rely on more than your own perception or your intentions. It just, 
get you into trouble every time. And this time it really got her into trouble. I think that she'll recover from it. Yeah, um, she will. She will. I that she over time has actually built a lot of goodwill. So I do think that she will recover, but it was just unfortunate that it had to take this turn. And we know that on a smaller basis, we probably have seen this with clients as well. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, to be fair, you know, same thing has happened with Bill Maher. He decided to come back. Now he's, of course, said no. And I think it was also what the talk and the Jennifer Hudson show, they were making similar decisions into which, you know, even if you're a talk show, it's like, well, who do you think is going to be your guest? But okay. <laughs> but speaking, yeah, speaking of short-sightedness and, and not really having much of a clue, let's move on to the new president of the University of Florida. <laughs> the former we Nebraska today, Michelle. So, we but you are, know, we're, we're coming at you. We're um, looking at this purely from a PR lens. We are, so, we are. There, so University of Florida, which is one of the top schools in the nation, and their model has been fantastic, has a new president, and his name is Ben Sass, and he's a business guy. Nothing wrong with, you know, I get it. You bring somebody into a different industry because they have a different way of solving problems, a different perspective. I have no issues with that choice. From a PR perspective, one thing that jumped out at us is that Ben Sass has done some interviews and he is a business person and he makes the mistake that so many PR professionals will instantly recognize how many of you have clients that you have set up interviews with and you're trying, you know, you have media trained them for thought leadership and they cannot get out of their own way and speak like a a human being. They just cannot speak like a person. (laughs) I have to tell you personal experience. We were working with a client and we had a partner And the partner was a very large, very well-known household name company. And so the interview included our client, a smaller client, and this household name company. And the reporter came back to us after the interview and applauded our client and their interview and their input and said basically that the household name company was trash because they could not speak like a human being. They just gave them a bunch of standard company jargon. So if you want to do thought leadership, this is the worst way to do it. It's the worst way, honestly, to communicate with anyone. You know that phrase that you should communicate to be understood, um, not heard. And unfortunately, some executives, some business people, some regular people feel like they need to sound smart. They need to use all of the inside words. When you are talking inside of your own companies, you do not need to do this. You do not need to prove that you have the glossary of terms that are used. Sometimes, if you're a medical doctor, obviously you you need to use technical language. In certain positions, you have to use technical language within your job, but it would serve everyone well to learn how to speak like a human being. And I want to read you an example (laughs) of one of his answers. It is 
so completely, it's like, what? What is he even saying right now? <laughs> I don't even know. I'll have to find the quote, but Michelle, I, you... I believe uh, co-location was one of the words. It was just like, I'm like, really? And and I wonder because he was previously, he's the former Senator from Nebraska. And you have to wonder, is he just not used to speaking things that weren't carefully crafted for him? Or is he, now that he's out of that world, he's just, again, refusing counsel and saying, no, I'm good. I'll wing it. Here's, here's, (laughs) he was asked about his perceived invisibility on campus because there's been a lot of stuff on the campus about how he's not seen like the previous president. The students don't see him. He's just not visible. And so part of his answer, and this is in quotes, and this is from New York Times Magazine, and he says, and that requires us to unbundle cohorting community and synchronicity from co-localities. And then he added, what will today's generic term professor mean when you disaggregate syllabus designer, sage on the stage lecturer, seminar leader, instructional technologist, grader, assessor, et cetera? So... cohorting community and synchronicity from co-localities even mean and what it sounds like it hurts yes what does that have to do with students saying they never see you on campus yeah please (laughs) do do this at home folks (laughs) i mean yeah we i mean my my university wasn't anywhere near as large as the university of florida but we knew who our president was. We would see him. We would see the provost. We would see them out and about, you know, saying hello. It's yeah. a little strange. Maybe, and maybe, maybe we'll give him, I'll give him a little benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's transitioning from being in the hyperbaric chamber of D.C. And or maybe he just isn't. Uh, course, isn't really for him. He's for it. And I, I feel like yeah. this stems from people, again, feeling like they they're so accustomed to speaking in this, you know, inside yeah. baseball language and it's language of the privileged. Like they yes. feel as if they have to speak this language so that people know how incredibly brilliant they are. But the I people pack and are memorable are people who know how to speak to you like a person. They don't need to use, you know, the big words. And, you know, we PR people, we love the dictionary. We love grammar. We love words. We love to bring out old words and use them in different places. But when you are communicating with people, it's so much more important to just be plain spoken and to be memorable. People will remember words that they can hold on to. They're not going to remember that you said unbundle cohorting. Like, <laughs> I, I, I want to even know, what does that even mean? And honestly, as soon as you said synchronicity, I was already, you know, playing songs from the police album in my mind. So, so you lost me, Ben. But speaking of the police and rock and roll, our number three person who has, he has literally taken a uh, PR in vain is Jan Wenner, who has come out with this book called The Masters. And he has truly and purely stepped in it and or revealed to anyone who had any wonder of how he really is when he claims, well, you know, when I don't know if he was approached as to why are there only white men in your book? 
And he made some ridiculous claims that, well, I guess I could have interviewed one black person and one woman to be for PR purposes. Okay, that's not PR, Jan, but whatever. But, you know, they they couldn't be articulate. Like, I'm sorry, say what? I have three words for you. Sister Rosetta Tharp invented the electric guitar rock and roll riff. And, you know, I kind of feel for the people that he did interview. I really would love to hear from them as if to say, yeah, I'm in that book, but that's not how I roll. Just incredibly tone deaf. And it really tarnishes, you know, the, the musical journalism reputation of Rolling Stone, even though he was just the editor and the publisher, he wasn't the writer. But, you know, all the coverage over the years, you're like, huh. Why didn't so-and-so get featured as much? Oh, really? Oh, oh, you don't think Stevie Wonder could talk about his music? Really? Oh, so yeah, he's he's in our, I don't even like to say doghouse because I love dogs. He's he's in our PR bad house and right he now. He has been removed from the rock and roll board yes, he has. from his position. And I think that those were great decisions. Yes. And Michelle, I mean, I completely respect you particular on so many topics, but you're a music nerd. I am. You are, (laughs) you are a music nerd. You love music. You know, music, you can talk music. And it just, it just hurt my heart to read words that you have one human being who has power, who are communicated that, there's only a certain subset of people that make music that can actually talk about it in an intelligent manner. Right. This is from someone who is not a musician, by the way, he's not Thank a musician. You. No. I, so I, you know, here again, and this goes be to me. I mean, this is not a diversity, equity, inclusivity and belonging issue because he is clearly biased. Yeah. Period. No amount of DEIMB training would have helped this man. He really needs a mindset shift. But it is a, a good example of us understanding companies, organizations, strategic advisors, PR counsel, understanding the people that we connect to our brands and our yes. company, understanding what their perspectives are, not just their intelligence on a particular topic. So I am sure that he achieved his status and position because he developed talents and he had some knowledge about this industry. But did anyone ever look beyond that? Over the years, did anyone question why certain people weren't interviewed and why he held certain opinions or wrote certain things So I think that, you know, as communicators, it's important for us to ensure that our clients are not attached to people that could damage their reputations because this sort of rubs off on them. And, And Michelle, you nailed it. You started to look back and say, now I'm questioning decisions that were made under his leadership, knowing now what I know about this human being. And Absolutely. So it can tarnish great work. Yeah. And not because your organization sucks. I mean, no, it's just, has had some problematic. Problematic. <laughs> yes. And, and there's been an undercurrent of thoughts about 
this person's perspectives. But this just, you can't, I'm like, okay, well, thank you for confirming what so many of people have said. I, I won't, I won't repeat what one of my friends posted no, to Facebook about it. I don't know this man at all, but his comments come across like a hateful, misogynistic racist. Can I just yeah. be honest yeah. about it? Like, exactly. Yeah. So basically, yeah. you hate women and any other race. Like, yeah, they're, they're not on say the same par as yeah. as your white male compadres. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the textbook definition. And I'm fairly certain of half yeah. the names you dropped, they would highly disagree with you. And, I don't know. If, I don't know if David. But we say out loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying the quiet part out loud, which happens oh so often these days. And yeah, uh, along that topic, if anyone's interested, uh, there's that that brilliant clip of David Bowie being interviewed on MTV in the in the early '80s, addressing just that and calling them out to their faces. And it's just a beautiful for for us PR nerds who love to see a good interview and how they can go. But love it. <laughs> love it. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this time with us. We we enjoy, you know, just looking at the PR perspective of these things as we dish a little bit. And uh, if you found this valuable to you, we do, we would love it if you would share it around with your friends and colleagues. Check us out at soloprpro.com. And until next time, thanks for listening to That Solo Life. <laughs>